Today, as I have said already, is a special day for us here at Calvary Baptist Church. It's a day that we get to celebrate. Now, who likes to celebrate? I heard one person that likes to celebrate. Who else likes to celebrate? All right, that's a little bit better. That's a little bit better. We all like to celebrate, don't we? Um, and because we have the opportunity this, this morning to celebrate, I want to ask you, what are we celebrating? Salvation. Salvation declared, all right? What else are we celebrating? Faith, hope, obedience. New creation, new creature in Christ. All right? Those are some pretty good answers. We celebrated the Lord's table, didn't we? Okay, but you know what? There's more to celebrate. There is more, far more to celebrate for us as a, as a child of God. When we ministered in South Africa, just before we left, we had a team come over. Um, and this team came to help our church figure out and understand the importance of team building. And one of the things that John uh, taught us and reminded us of uh, while they were there helping us work through the ideas of team building is that the church, and it doesn't, didn't just mean Grace Baptist Church of Tableview or Calvary Baptist Church of Preble, but the church in general often forgets to celebrate or fails to celebrate. And, and he pointed out the fact that as a church, when we see God do great things or even little things, we need to celebrate those things. We need to be thankful. We need to praise God. We need to be grateful for what God accomplishes in and through us as he gives us so many opportunities to serve him. And we miss opportunities not only for service, but we also miss opportunities to celebrate what God accomplishes in our life. So this morning, I want us to stop and think about and remember the significance, remember the importance of celebrating. And when we celebrate, who or what do we celebrate? God. Okay, I guess we don't need any more answers because that's the one. We celebrate God, okay? It's not about what we do. We're hoping to have a fantastic, fabulous, wow, that's, I'm adding some extras, fantastic, fabulous, family-friendly fall festival, okay? Um, that's what we're hoping for next Saturday. But you know what? If that happens, and I'm confident that it will, it won't be, be because of what we planned or what we accomplished, it will be because God blessed each one of us and allowed us to accomplish what we needed to accomplish on that day. When we do good things, we don't do them in our own strength. We don't do them in our own name. We do them in the strength that God has given us, and we do them for the cause and the glory of our great God. God gets the credit for what we do. So when we celebrate, we are indeed celebrating our great God. There's a great hymn of the faith, and it actually is in that hymn book, Great Hymns of the Faith. And the song is, To God Be the Glory, Fanny Crosby. Okay, this song was written over 100 years ago, and we still sing it today. To God be the glory. I want to just remind you, first of all, with verse 3, it says, Great things he, that's God, great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done. 
and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son, but purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. And, and you know what? Our tra- when we see Jesus face to face, you know why it's going to be great? Because it's the end of our, it's the, it's the completion of our salvation. And, and when we see Jesus face to face, we are going to see him and rejoice because of all of the things he has done and all of the service that has been rendered to God through his name. Great our rejoicing will be. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people, and by that word people, he means let those who know Jesus as their Savior, let the people rejoice, oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. Verse 1 of that same song says, to God be the glory, great things he has done, so loved he the world. Now he's going to talk about the greatest thing. God has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. You see, the greatest thing that was ever done on behalf of mankind was when Jesus came, was born as a baby, lived on this earth, perfect, spotless, sinless life, and then went to a cross. A criminal's cross, because that's the only people that were on a cross, right? A criminal's cross. And he hung on that cross. And while he hung on that cross, you know what happened? The father caused the sky to turn black. And you might say, do you really believe in those fairy tales? Well, you know what? You can check out the Roman history books and they record it. They don't really know the explanation for it, but they record it. In the annals of history, it's recorded on that day that the sun in the middle of the day went dark. Why do you suppose that happened? Well, the Bible tells us it happened because Jesus took upon his body, himself, your sins and my sins, the sins of mankind. And the Father in glory could not look on his Son, so he turned his back on the Son of God, his very own Son, his perfect Son. He turned his back on the Son, and everything went black. That had never happened and will never happen again. That moment in time when the Son of God, God himself, God in the flesh, took upon himself the sins of mankind. So yes... Great things he has done. And then the last verse of the song says, Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood. To every believer, the promise of God. The vilest offender who truly believes. That moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Greatest work in all of history was Jesus making an atoning sacrifice for mankind. That's why you and I do the things we do. We invite people to come to church, not because there's somebody important standing up behind this desk. That's not the reason you invite people to come to church. We invite people to come to church because every Sunday we are going to open God's Word and we are going to let 
God speak to us through the pages of his word, regardless of who stands back here. And that's why it's so important that we make sure that only people who speak the truth stand back here or stand up here. That's our responsibility. And we've made a promise to you that only truth speakers will stand behind this desk and proclaim God's word to us. Great things God has done. We are celebrating God today by observing the ordinances of the church. We've observed one of them already. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. The other ordinance is something we're going to celebrate a little bit later in the service. And it's one of the few times that this thing is full of water. Because there's going to be people that are going to get baptized this morning. And we are excited about that. We are celebrating their, as I think Doug said, their obedience to God. Their willingness to follow the commandment of God. The ordinance of baptism. Chloe and Jody are going to be baptized this morning. And even though they are getting baptized, we're not celebrating Chloe and Jody. We're celebrating the work of God in Chloe's life and in Jody's life. It's a work that only God can do. Chloe didn't do anything to get that salvation. Jody didn't do anything to earn his salvation. In fact, we're going to have them share their testimonies. Um, and Chloe's going to go first. So, Chloe, come on down. And, and she's kind of surprised because they, had to, uh, they were a little bit late getting here this morning. And I was going to tell you earlier, but come on down. Um, that way you get to share your testimony. And then we'll get you into the tank after the service and just go ahead and take care of the baptizing part of it. If you want your mom to come with you, she can. Um, but Chloe's going to come and share her testimony with you. And we were happy to hear it last week as the church leadership. And now uh, she gets to share that with you this morning. Come on up right here. Thanks, Chloe. You're welcome. Hi. Okay. I suck at public speaking, so just bear with me, please. <laughs> I didn't exactly grow up in a Christian home. My mom did her best, but she was dealing with her own things. Veggie Tales was like the closest thing I had to going to church. Um, my mom there you go. Thank you. The switch is on the bottom. So. I'm sorry. Um, my mom and stepdad went to Kansas, and I was stuck in New York with my, bio my biological dad. And I went to a weird church for a little while that had a lot of things wrong with it. And I was baptized, but it was like the sprinkle of water on your head. And like, now you go to heaven. But that's not how it works. And my parents got back from Kansas, and they, saw it, they started following Christ and were telling me about it. But I thought, because mom and dad say it's true, then it must be true. And that's what I, like, I had to follow God too, because they were. <laughs> um... Living at my dad's house really sucked, and my mom said that God would help me through it, and he would be there for me, but I wanted him to do it on my time, and get me out of there on my time and not his, and I got really frustrated because nothing was happening, and I had the head knowledge for God, but not the heart. Eventually, um, on God's time, I got away from my, dad's, my biological dad's house, and I was finally living with my mom. But I thought in order to become a Christian and be baptized, I had to know everything there was to know about 
God in everything, but nobody knows everything, and I know that now. And I also wanted to wait because I wanted to make sure that I wanted to do it for me and not because my parents said so. So yeah, now I have the heart and the head knowledge. It's what God wants me to do. Booyah. Thank you, Chloe. Don't run away yet. Don't run away yet. Um, so it is the, the, the desire of the deacons and I to recommend to you as a church body, Chloe, for membership contingent upon her baptism. Now, we understand that this membership window might be really short because they, they are moving soon and probably going to move their membership at some point. But you know what? That shouldn't stop us from helping Chloe be obedient to the command of God. So we have a motion from the leadership team to recommend. Steve makes the motion before I even get to ask for it, to second it. All right. Any questions for Chloe real quick? All right. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Any opposed to same sign? All right. Motion carries. Thank you. You may run away. You may go back to your seat now. Don't run away. <laughs> Jody, you're up next. Come on. Uh, I'm not a good speaker, you guys probably know, so I'll keep it short. I wasn't raised in a Christian home myself, and my lifestyle, I was in a dark place alone. And a voice said, if you come to me, I'll never forsake you. And I was literally on bended knee. I left it up, and uh, I'd like to say I was sold, but I was actually bought. Jody, Chloe couldn't run away. You can't run away either. All right. So, uh, again, we heard Jody's testimony in much more detail than you guys had the opportunity to do that today. I would encourage you to just talk with him individually. He's a lot... Uh, better at communicating one-on-one or, sh- or one to a couple than uh, in front of all of you today. Um, but it again is the recommendation of the leadership team of the church to recommend to you Jody for church membership. And again, we got some, uh, uh, some, some quick people here. Colleen makes the second to that. Uh, are there any questions for Jody? All right. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed the same sign. All right. Thank you, Jody. You may now go sit down. Um, and again, we thank, we thank you for sharing your testimonies, but we thank God for making a difference in your life. And that difference is an eternal difference. It's not just a, a while you're here in Preble difference or while you're here at Calvary Baptist Church. Good thing for Chloe, right? Um, But it's a lifelong and eternal commitment that God has made to you by uh, saving you and placing you into his family. So we've talked a little bit about communion this morning because we participate in it. But we're going to talk about ordinances for a little bit this morning. Um, And I'm not talking about the ordinances that say you have to have your dog on a leash in order to walk your dog in the community. Or uh, the ordinance that says you can't park on the on the certain side of the street when it's snowing because they're going to come and plow and they want to have that side of the street clear. I'm talking about two ordinances this morning that God has given to us. You see the title of the message, Christ Institutes Ordinances for the Church. You can think of that as a headline in the newspaper or maybe since you don't 
probably read newspapers very often anymore, um, something that's scrolling across the bottom of the TV on the little ticker, Christ institutes ordinances for the church. This is big news. This is a big deal that Christ has called us to be obedient in a particular way. So if you're new to Calvary Baptist Church or you're visiting here this morning, you may say that the church I go to or the church I used to go to did communion. But they didn't call it an ordinance. What in the world is an ordinance anyway? We had a different name for it. We at our church that I used to go to, we called it a sacrament. Okay? Now, we're going to talk about the difference between an ordinance and a sacrament. What is the difference? Does it make a big deal? And I want to submit to you this morning that it does make a big deal what you call it, and how you practice it. Let me define for you the word sacrament, okay? And I'm not trying to offend anybody this morning. I just want you to know the truth, okay? I just want you to know what God teaches and what God says about what you and I as children of God, as followers of Jesus, should do. So a sacrament is an outward sign combined with a prescribed form. Okay, it's an outward sign prescribed with a or combined with a prescribed form of words, and the practice of a sacrament confers some specific grace upon those who receive it or those who do it. That's a that's a pretty general definition for the word sacrament. Most churches that practice sacraments would agree with that definition, and they would say, "Yeah, that's a pretty good definition. That's how we define it." There's another couple of churches that define it a little bit more specifically, and this comes from the Council of Trent, and their definition is, a sacrament is something that is presented to the senses, which has the power by divine institution, not only of signifying, but also of efficiently convening grace. Okay, like I said, that comes from the Council of Trent. So it's something that appeals to the senses, taste, smell, hearing, seeing, those kinds of things. Um, And if you practice this thing called a sacrament, it gives you some special kind of grace. Now, what is grace? Maybe we need to stop and define that for a moment. Grace. Grace, we we use an acrostic here for the word grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay? You and I have received the riches of God, which is becoming a a brother and sister with Jesus Christ. We are heirs with Christ. Okay? We got the riches of God at Christ's expense. In other words, it didn't cost you or I anything, but it cost Christ everything. He left heaven, came to earth, died on the cross so that we might have everlasting life. Grace is unmerited, unmeritable favor. We can't do anything to gain favor with God. And that's the, that's the kind of the beginning of the difference between a sacrament and an ordinance. Grace is something we can do nothing to earn. So if there's sacraments, maybe we need to let you know quickly what those sacraments are. And so I'm going to list to you uh, the sacraments. There are seven of them that some churches say, if you practice these sacraments, you, are, you have the right or the obligation to receive grace from um, from God, okay? So here's the first sacrament, and by the way, let me tell you, you can't support that from Scripture, okay? So here's the first sacrament, is baptism. 
And we're going to have a baptism today, but it's not a sacrament, okay? The, bapt- the sacrament of baptism uh, tells us, they believe in their, in their statement of beliefs, it says that they are cleansed of original sin by baptism and receive sanctifying grace, the life of God within our souls, that grace prepares people for the reception of other sacraments and helps us to live our lives as Christians. Now, I think I've told you before, I'm not really from Missouri, but I tell people I'm from Missouri because Missouri is the what kind of state? The show me state, okay? So I'm going to say for somebody to show me where you find that in the pages of Scripture. Show me where it says that in God's Word, that if you are baptized, it washes away your original sin. Now, what is original sin? Original sin is what sin is passed down from every person, from Adam and Eve all the way down to the last person, maybe Asher already, by now we don't know, the last person to be born, okay? That is original sin. Everyone has it, okay? You get it because your mom and dad are sinners and they pass it on to you, um, through the, the process of being born, okay? That's original sin. There is nothing that washes away that original sin except for the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Can I tell you this? If Jesus didn't have to die on the cross to save us from our sins, I don't think he would have. He wouldn't have needed to. But there is only one way. It was throughout the Old Testament. The pages of the Old Testament were filled with the promise of a coming Messiah who would die for the people to save them from their sins and to reconcile them to the Father. So baptism, although it is something that we practice, does not wash away sin. And then there's another one called confirmation. Confirmation, according to their definition, is the perfection of baptism. And it gives us the grace to live our lives as Christians boldly and without shame. There are classes offered to prepare for and to complete the confirmation process. Okay, so you have to go through this process of being confirmed. And then the confirmation, once they pronounce you confirmed, you then have this special grace that somehow is poured out upon you. Again, I ask, and I have asked people these questions and they can't give me an answer. Where do you find that in scripture? Can you show me? Um, No, but it's just what we believe. It's what we've been taught. Okay. I don't want to argue, I just want to know where you can support that from in Scripture. The next sacrament is that of the Eucharist. It's repeated daily, if possible, and we would call it communion. Okay. Now, I've already told you, we do it how often here at at Calvary Baptist Church? Once a month, okay? That's how often we do it. Those who believe it is a sacrament, they say we should do it on a daily basis, if possible, Okay, we consume, here's another huge difference, we consume the body and blood of Christ which unites us more closely with him and helps us to grow in grace by living a more Christian life. So in other words, they are saying that we literally eat the body of Christ and drink the blood of Christ. What they say. I'm not making this up. I'm telling you what they say. It is believed that the elements in the Eucharist are literally Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. Again, you can't find that in Scripture. So there's really no reason to ascribe to that as a truth that comes from God. 
The next sacrament is that of matrimony. It's a lifelong union between a man and a woman for procreation and mutual support. It reflects the union of Jesus Christ and his church. Now, we would agree with some of that. We would agree that when a man and a woman, woman say, I do, it is for life. Okay? And why is it for life? Because it's a picture of the, the relationship that Jesus Christ has with the church. And Jesus Christ has with you and I as a member of the church. Now, I am sure that if I ask this question, I'm going to ask it. I don't want you to answer it. Anybody here willing to just say, Jesus, you go ahead and walk away from me at any point in time if I do something wrong? Nobody's going to raise their hand, right? Because nobody wants that. And, and so when we see that the picture of Jesus in the church is a picture of marriage, when we enter into marriage as a partner, you should be committed to that partner for life. Just like you don't want Jesus walking away from you when the times get tough, you don't want your partner walking away from you. We don't want your spouse walking away from you when the times get tough. You're in it for the long haul. You're in it for life. Okay, But it doesn't add any grace. In fact, you might say, I need more grace to get through this, this marriage. Um, and and it, let me say this. If you're struggling in your marriage, we're happy to try and help. But we're going to take you to the pages of Scripture. And we're going to use that as the source of helping you work through whatever you might be facing in your marriage. But marriage is not something that imparts grace. It's something that as we continue to live together as husband and wife, it demonstrates God's grace. All right, and then we have the next one would be confession and penance. Confession reconciles the parishioner to God by confessing sins to the priest and doing penance or acts that the priest says they have to do in order for the reconciliation to take place. Boy, I'm glad I don't have to do that. I'm glad that when I do something wrong, and I do, I sin, just like you do. When I sin, I can go directly to God himself, and I can confess that sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forgives me of my sin when I confess it to him. No man does. No man has that authority or ability. In fact, Scripture, Paul tells Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man. And he goes on to tell us who that mediator is. He says that mediator is the man, Christ Jesus. There is no other mediator. There is no other person that we have to confess to or can confess to to receive this forgiveness of sins. And God says to us, I've already paid for your sins. There's nothing you can do to pay for them yourself. No act that you can do. And then we move on and we see the next one is that of holy orders. And that, that is simply the continuation of Christ's priesthood, they say, which he bestowed upon his apostles. There are three levels to this sacrament. Okay, there's the episcopate, there's the priesthood, and there's the diaconate. Okay, now, if you are a priest in one of these churches, you have taken upon yourself the idea or the, 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 the sacrament called holy orders. Okay, so you then, uh, and that's not a sacrament that everybody can complete, all right? It, because to become a priest, you can't get married. <laughs> and you know what? If everybody can't get married, guess what happens to the human race? It ceases to exist, right? Can't go on. So uh, there's one of the flaws, but then you have this idea that they, they continue in the lineage of Christ. No, they don't, because they're not perfect, 
and I've told you before, I stand up here not as a priest, okay? I stand up here as a pastor. All of us are priests. That's clear from the pages of Scripture. We don't go through any classes. We, don't, we, we trust Christ as our Savior, and then we become priests. Uh, Peter says you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. So um, to become a, a particular uh, officer in the church does not make you anything special or any more important or have any more grace bestowed upon you than anybody else sitting in the, in the congregation. And then the last sacrament, I told you I was going to go through these quickly, is extreme unction. Okay, And that's administered both to the dying and to those who are gravely ill or about to undergo a serious operation uh, for recovery in their health and, spirit, and for spiritual strength. So, in, so a, another sacrament is that when a person is really sick, they call a priest and he, does, he says something special over you and that's supposed to give you extra grace. Now, again, show me. Where that happens. Now, I will often go to a hospital, or if somebody's sick, I'll go visit them, and I'll pray for them, and I'll pray with them, and I'll pray uh, if they're about ready to go into surgery, I'll go and I'll pray with them and ask, the God, ask God to give the surgeons and all those that are going to do the operation great wisdom and strength and help them to be the best that they can be. But that's not anything to do with extreme unction. That's just asking God for His great grace to be manifested in the situation. All right? Now, as I was going over these sacraments, and again, um, I, I'm not trying to be mean, I'm not trying to be nasty, I'm just trying to help us understand what we're talking about here. As I was reading through about these sacraments, I read again and again how grace is imparted when one participates in the sacrament listed, and it's necessary to do all of the sacraments, or at least as many as you can, because like I said, of the, of the seven, most people can only do six. Okay? But the more sacraments you do, the more chances you have of gaining access to heaven. Can I tell you this? That's not in here. That's not in here. You know what's in here? What's in here is if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, you believe that in your heart, and you confess that with your mouth, thou shalt be saved. That's what the Bible says. And what is the Bible? This is not a book of man. This is the book of God. And if we believe the Bible, then we have to do what the Bible teaches us. We want to know and understand the teachings of God. You see, the problem with sacraments is that it gives us a works-based salvation. All of the works that we do provide us with added grace, and hopefully by the time you get to heaven, that if you have enough grace on this side of the scale, it outweighs your sinfulness, and you get to go to heaven. God says, trust in my son, Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. The only way to salvation is through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Now, as again, I'm not trying to be critical or judgmental, but I want to ask you a question. What must be the authority for any church? I don't care what name your church is, but what must be the authority for it to have any meaning? The Bible. The, Bible, the Word of God must be the authority for any church. 
okay? If there's no scriptural support for a particular set of teachings or a belief, then you can't hold to that. It's not going to be of any benefit to you to hold to that kind of belief system. So as I said, sacraments lead to this works-based religion which negates the work of Christ on the cross. It says it's not necessary. If one could find support for a sacramental system of religion in the Bible, then I would accept it as truth. But there is no such support. So we must stick to what the Bible says. So what's the other thing? If it's not a sacrament, what is it? Well, it's an ordinance. And an ordinance is an outward rite prescribed by Christ to be practiced by his church. Okay? It's an outward rite prescribed by Christ to be practiced in the church. In other words, Jesus said, do it. That's what it is. That's what makes it an ordinance. And we're going to talk more specifically about exactly what it is that qualifies something to be an ordinance. But the definition, simply put, an ordinance is an ordained ceremony or an ordained celebration of what Christ has accomplished. When observing an ordinance, we are acting in obedience to a command of Christ. Ordinances are something that is symbolic and it's a reenactment of the gospel message. When we celebrate communion like we did this morning, we had the cracker, which represents what? The body of Jesus Christ, okay? And then we had the juice, which represents what? The shed blood of Jesus Christ. So in order for us to be saved, Jesus had to take our sins upon himself, shed his blood. We have to accept that, believe that, and live that out in our lives. That's the gospel. Every time we practice communion, we celebrate the gospel, The next ordinance is that of baptism. When Jody and Chloe get in the baptismal tank separately, um, they're going to stand up in the tank. You can't see the water, but if you could, the water goes straight across the tank. Okay? So when they're standing there in the water straight across the tank, they're standing up like this. So you got the water, you got their body. What does that look like? A cross. Okay? What's so important about the cross? That's where Jesus went to pay for our sins. So there's the picture of the cross. And when I ask them if it's their testimony that they've trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they say yes, I say to them, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What do I do then? They go under the water. They go all the way under the water. Okay? And what does that signify? What does that represent? That represents death. That represents being buried in the grave. Jesus was buried in the grave. But what happened three days later? He rose. He rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. He came back to life. He was resurrected and coming up out of the water. Pictures the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's not dead. He's alive. And that is what separates Christianity from any other religion. Shall I say Bible-based Christianity from any other religion in the world? We have a Savior who was crucified, dead, and buried, but is now alive. And nothing can change that. 
It is the facts, again, recorded in Roman history, if you will. So the baptism of a child of God represents the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection, uh, and the ascension of Jesus Christ back into heaven, where he did what? He sat down at the right hand of God, signifying that his work was finished. He accomplished exactly what God the Father wanted him to accomplish. So these ordinances that we celebrate, we practice, are the rites that, that any church that believes the word of God practices. And you might say to yourself, Pastor, why is it so important to have immersion as the form of baptism? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, the easiest reason is the very word baptism. Okay, The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo. And you know what that word means? It means to dunk completely under, to place completely under the water. Why did we not use sprinkling like Chloe mentioned when she was a child? Why do we not use pouring? Well, Jesus chose the word baptize or baptizo. And, and he said, I want you to be baptized. I want you to be immersed under the water. He could have used the word sprinkle because there's a Hebrew word for that in the Old Testament uh, we read about the Israelites every year at Passover. What did they do? They took a hyssop dipped in, in goat's blood or lamb's blood and they sprinkled it on the doorposts. That word is there. That word could have been used for a person to be baptized, but it wasn't. God chose not to use that word. There's also a word for poor. In fact, you know when they use it? When a priest becomes the high priest. Okay, and he comes in and, and a prophet of God comes to that priest. And what does he do? He takes a flask of oil. And, and we read about it when it happened with Aaron. It says they poured the oil on Aaron's head and it ran over his head and down his beard. The word poured is used in the Bible, but it's not used for baptism. Because that's not what God wanted. You can't picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by sprinkling water on somebody. You can't picture it by pouring water on somebody. The only way you can picture it is by baptism, by completely being immersed in the water and then brought back. Aren't you glad, Chloe, I'm not going to leave you down at the bottom of the tank? Yeah. Jody? Yeah. Yeah, you're glad for that, okay? And, and that's the way it works. We picture the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you might say, well, pastor, prove to me that these are biblical practices. I'm glad you asked me to do that. Okay? In Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, well, let me back up one step. What makes an ordinance? Okay? An ordinance is something that Jesus did. Jesus practiced the ordinances. Okay? And then Jesus commanded us to practice the ordinances. And then the third thing is there is significant proof that the early church that was established by Christ and carried out by the apostles practiced these rites or these ordinances. Okay, so here we have Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. 
For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately, signifying he was down in the water. He came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was baptized, he was immersed under the water, he came up, and there was proof that God was pleased with what he did. Can I ask you something this morning? Do you want God to be pleased with what you do? I think all of us do, right? All of us want God to be pleased with what we do. Can I suggest something else to you? If you haven't been baptized then you're not pleasing God. (gasps) Pastor, that's very harsh. That's not me. That's what God says to do. If we want to be obedient to God, we have to be obedient first with the step of baptism. That's a command that God gives. It's not really an option for a child of God to not be baptized. It's a command. And it's also believer's baptism. Every person who has been baptized and become part of the church did it after they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I'm also going to step out on a limb. I can't prove this spiritually. But I'm going to say the vast majority of people that have been baptized remember it without a doubt. One of the greatest days in their life. They think back and they say, oh, yes, I remember Pastor so-and-so baptized me. I remember what I learned in the process of getting baptized. I understand what it means, and and I understand that if I really want to be obedient, that's, that's really the first step for me as a child of God to be obedient in. Baptism is a highlight of your Christian life, and you remember it, and you remember it well. So as we think about baptism, Jesus did it. So okay, pastor, Jesus did it. Does he say that we have to do it? Well, he does. You know it, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then what's the next thing he says? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus commands it. Jesus doesn't suggest it. He doesn't say, if you want, you can... He says, baptize them. You must baptize them. You heard that right. Jesus commands his followers to be baptized, and to not be baptized is to be in disobedience to Jesus and his command. I'm not, again, trying to be mean or heavy-handed. I'm just trying to help you understand the truth from God's word. So if you're here this morning as a child of God and you've not been baptized, the first question is, why not? And the second question is, how can we help you get to that point where you're ready to do that? We don't want it to happen too soon. Mind you, it happened immediately in the, Old, in the New Testament in the church. But we want to help you do it so you understand exactly what it's all about. Baptism. The next ordinance, we've talked about it a little bit. The Lord's Supper, communion. It's a memorial service, and we do it in remembrance of Jesus. 
It reminds us of the death and the suffering of Christ on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and to, as Barb said, sitting back here at the piano, to satisfy the wrath of God. I didn't clue her in on that. We all know that if we want to satisfy God's wrath, it has to be done through His Son, Jesus Christ. It is this work that is the means of redemption. It's the only one. Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, his return to the Father's side is the only and all-sufficient means by which we can be saved. And every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remember that incredible sacrifice. So where did Jesus practice it? And where did Jesus command it? The same passage in Luke chapter... Um, uh, I think it's Luke chapter 17, verses 19 through 20, says this, And he, Jesus, took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Drink it in remembrance of me. Do it in remembrance of me. If you're willing and happy and excited to do communion, you should be willing and happy and excited to be baptized. So what's the difference between an ordinance and a sacrament? Let me just boil it down quickly for you. The biggest difference is that a sacrament carries with it the idea of those practicing or participating in it. Um, They gain special grace. They improve their standing before God. That's why if you think about every month when we do communion, I tell you that there is no grace in observing the Lord's table. Nothing special except it makes you obedient to the command to do it. An ordinance, on the other hand, does not impart grace or saving merit. Instead, it simply demonstrates obedience to the commands of Christ. And then very quickly, we're going to wrap it up with the determination of God's people. You've heard the differences between the sacraments and an ordinance. Scripture is clear that salvation, eternal life, is clearly a work of God's grace through Jesus and not the work of man as outlined by any kind of religious organization. So based on what we know from Scripture or what we've studied here this morning, we have a choice to make. Every child of God has a choice to make. And what's that choice? That choice is to obey or to press on and refuse to be obedient to the command that God has called us to in our lives. We have two people here today who are stepping out in obedience to God's will for their life. You've heard how God has worked in their lives to bring them to salvation. Are they perfect? What? Man, that was quick. You guys were quick to say that they're not perfect. You know what? You're right. And they will agree with you 100%. They're not perfect. They're they're a work in progress, as all of us are. Still a work in progress. We're not perfect, but we are striving to be obedient. And can I submit to you that obedience starts with being obedient to the command of baptism. You've you've seen it, and now now you're going to see in just a very few moments them follow through with this commitment to be baptized. So let me ask you, are you here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior? That's the first thing you got to do. Because as many times as you do communion or as many times as you get baptized, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it means absolutely nothing. It doesn't do anything for you. The day I got baptized, 
There was a, 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 a guy my age, I won't tell you his name. We went through the baptismal classes with Pastor Bunyan, and we were ready. Baptism was going to be on Sunday night. On Sunday morning before the service, this young man went up to Pastor Bunyan and said, Pastor Bunyan, I'm not sure I'm saved. I can't get baptized. Kudos for you. He realized that it was believer's baptism and not just an act that you do to hope to gain some favor with God. So let me ask you, are you here this morning? You don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Would you like to trust Jesus Christ today? There are people here that would be happy to help you do that. Before you leave, you can settle that business with God today. Number two, are you here this morning and you know Jesus as your Savior? Then have you been baptized? I'm not old enough. That doesn't work. The Bible says the Philippian jailer and his household were baptized. This man was young enough to be a prison guard. I think he had children. He welcomed Paul and Silas into his home, and he preached the gospel to them, and the Bible says he and his household got saved and were baptized. As long as you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if, you're, if you are able to understand that, you are able to understand baptism. And there is nothing that will prevent you or should prevent you from being baptized. I don't understand it. Well, we're happy to teach it to you. We're happy to explain it to you. We're happy to help you understand how you can be obedient to God. Two people today have said, I want to be obedient. I would encourage anyone here who has not followed that to follow the example of Jesus Christ and to be baptized as Jesus was baptized and countless others since him have been baptized as well. And, and please, if you grew up in another kind of church, don't count on that baptism as being sufficient because it's not. It's not right. It's not what God says in the pages of Scripture. Now, we're going to close our service, this part of our service this morning, in prayer and then in song. And then we're going to move into the celebration of Jesus by watching the baptism of two obedient children of God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for your word. Your word is clear. Your word teaches us what to do. Your word says that we want to be, or challenges us to be obedient to you. So, Father, I thank you for these two individuals who, although not perfect, desired to be obedient to you. I thank you for the many that are sitting here and going to witness these two individuals, that they have also been obedient, many of them, to the command of being baptized. And, Father, I pray that you would work in hearts this morning, uh, young and old, that if there's people here that, that have not yet been baptized and need to be baptized, that they would want to be obedient to that command of God in their lives. Bless the remainder of our service, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.